The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. All right. I can see and hear a lot of high-fiving out there, which is exciting. For those of you who don't know me, anybody here who doesn't know me, my name is Janie. I'm one of the people who is on staff here at University Ministries, who has the privilege of getting to spend time with all of you. Um, and one of the things to tell you about myself is that I really like, um, I really like sports. I watch a lot of sports, both in person and on television, and I do that almost always with Becky Riggers, who's another person, I don't know why that's funny, but um, she's another person on staff here, and she also likes to watch sports, and so we're really good watching sports together, because you, when you watch sports with someone, you have to find someone that you, you kind of watch sports in the same way, you know what I mean? Um, because I can't, like, I can't watch sports with people who, like, scream at the television, especially their own team. I don't know what it is, but it's like... PTSD, I like curl up in the fetal position and rock back and forth. I can't handle when people scream um, when they're watching sports. But Becky and I are really similar in that we're really invested in what's going on when we watch sports, and we're constantly asking questions, constantly. And we're not asking questions as far as, like, what's going on on the field or the, or the baseball diamond. Like, we know what's up. But we're always asking questions that are just kind of general that pop up while we're watching. Here's some examples. What is the purpose, or was the purpose, of those um, bands that football players wear above their elbows? Like, why do they wear those? There is a reason, but now it's just because they like to decorate themselves. Um, how come the Final Four is never west of the Rockies? Where did the phrase can of corn come from um, when it comes to a fly ball and baseball? Um, who's the older brother, Mike or Bob Stoops, Jim or John um, Harbaugh? Those are the kinds of questions that we would ask. And we would always have the same answer. Let's look it up. Go to the Internet. It's the worldwide waste of time. That's where we find the answer. Um, since the advent of smartphones, the answers have come up. Uh, it's a lot easier. But I have, we have watched sports with someone else, and they said, I can't watch with you. It's like watching with a three-year-old. Why? What? Why? What? Shut up. I don't know, I think it's fun, but a recent query that I had while we were watching a game is, who invented the high five, right? Who was the first person who said, up top? So, I did some research and I found out. So you didn't know you were going to be in class, but here's the history of the high five. Um, so, this was it right here. Um, actually, I don't think they have a picture of it, but this is the guy. Major League Baseball player Glenn Burke invented it in 1977 while he was playing for the L.A. Dodgers. And here's the article. It was the last day of regular season. Dodgers left fielder Dusty Baker had just hit a home run off the Astros. It was a wild, triumphant moment. Burke was waiting on deck, and he thrust his hand enthusiastically over his head to greet his friend at the plate. Baker, not knowing what to do, smacked it. His, he says, his hand was up in the air, and he was arching way back, says Baker. So I reached up and hit his hand. It seemed like the thing to do. <laughs> so that was the first ever high five. No one knows why there's a music note, so just ignore that. Um, it's because of the noise it makes when you slap hands. 
I'd say that up. Okay, so also let's look at the evolution of the high five. Here's how to do a high five, if you didn't know. You have to have a, your mouth wide open and look at the person's elbow. Did you know that trick? Look at their elbow. And then you won't, you won't miss. Um, so there's, uh, Glenn Burke and Dusty Baker. And then we moved on to, um, the Bash Brothers where they would, they bumped elbows. They didn't hit hands anymore, hit elbows. So that led to a lot of, in the 90s, a lot of, uh, bruised arms, forearms. And then there was a the chest bump, which is basically the body high five that we moved on to. And now we have the hip bumps, and the celebration has got to the point where people are like doing toe touches off the other people as they celebrate and slap hands and stuff. It's got, it's gotten a little bit out of control, to be honest. It's kind of ridiculous. But the point of these high fives, they've evolved over time from the very beginning, and now the way that we do it, the purpose of them is to reach out in celebration, right? To reach out to somebody else and to connect, connecting to someone else. That's the purpose of a high five. And tonight we are going to look at a story in scripture that is all about reaching out, reaching out and connecting, grabbing on to Jesus and what faith in Jesus can offer us. Now, if you've been here this quarter, you know that we have been doing a series through the book of Luke called I Belong. Um, and if you were he- if you weren't here last week, you missed Ryan and I doing some pretty s- sweet '90s dance moves. Um, yeah, we pretty much killed it. So, ask someone to demonstrate um, that they can show you. But those dance moves showed us that we were insiders in middle school. Because let's be honest, we live in a world that is built up of insiders and outsiders. And we looked at how, from the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus flip that upside down. He said there's no such thing as insiders and outsiders. In the world that Jesus was creating, in the world that God created and intended for us, all people who have faith in Jesus are insiders. They're a part of the kingdom of God. And we looked at the story of the Roman centurion in Luke chapter 7, an example that showed us of someone who should have been an outsider who had great faith in Jesus, he was included as well. Um, and we who follow after Jesus, who have faith in Jesus and the power of Jesus to heal us, we also consider ourselves insiders. We belong to Jesus. So as we look at the next chapter in Luke, um, I want to stop a minute and pray for our time here tonight. Spirit of the living God, we ask that you would fall afresh on us. We ask that as you reach out, to, as we reach out to you, that you would be present with us. I pray that um, in our midst tonight, we would know that we that we belong to you. We would be reminded that you hear us, you know us, and that you love us. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, would be acceptable in your sight. In your holy name, Amen. Okay, so we're going to look at Luke chapter eight, and it's actually two stories. Two stories that are kind of intertwined together. And both of these stories have some really interesting parallels. There are things about them that are really similar and things that are really different. And it involves an insider and an outsider. So before we look, just a little bit of context. Jesus is traveling around for his ministry. And he has come to the western side of the Sea of Galilee. And this matters because the culture there was 
uh, it was all people who were Jewish. And so the Jewish law was very important to them. Abiding by the Jewish law was very important in order for them to maintain their role as God's people. So that is uh, what Jesus is walking into um, in the story that we're looking at. And as we look at this story from Luke chapter 8, I encourage you to kind of put yourself there. Put yourself in the shoes of someone who's kind of watching what is happening. What do you observe? What is going on in this circumstance? What do you notice about Jesus um, in this passage? So look at Luke chapter 8, and then we're going to stop starting at verse 40, and then I'm going to stop about halfway through to kind of um, break down the story a little bit. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out for me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. So this woman has... Um, she has been experiencing um, a discharge of blood, and she's had the same issue for 12 years. So why is this a big deal? Why is that, um, why is that detail important? Well, the Jewish law, which is very important to this group of people, says in Leviticus 15 that a woman is unclean for as long as she has a discharge of blood. Not only is she unclean, but anything she touches is unclean. In verse 27 of the Leviticus 15 in the Jewish law, it says... Whoever touches her or anything she touches will be unclean. He or she must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean until evening. So what does that mean for this woman? Well, she is an outcast of society because no one wants to deal with being unclean by spending any time around her. So she does not belong at all. But beyond that, what really strikes me when you think about the reality that this woman is living in, no one has touched her in 12 years. No one probably has even stood close to her for fear of becoming unclean. She wouldn't have been allowed to go in the synagogue, in the place of worship you can't go in if you're unclean. She would have been an outcast in her society. She wouldn't have belonged in her own home. I mean, that is crazy. And not only is she unclean, but she's a woman. Uh, I know you're thinking, well, duh, Janie. Yeah, she's a woman. What difference does that make? But women didn't really have much of a place in society, right? They were they had a place in the domestic setting, but outside of that, they didn't do much. They weren't really involved in the faith community. They weren't educated. So this woman is pretty much as low as you can get and still be considered a human being. And all of the Gospels mention women and how Jesus was intentional about involving women in ministry, how he took them 
and brought them into Christian community. But Luke actually, um, one of the reasons I love Luke is my favorite gospel because he emphasizes the justice and the compassion that Jesus brought to these people on the margins, to this insider slash outsider world. Now, sometimes I think we forget this liberation that Jesus ushered forth in the world. I mean, we don't think about it because we pay lip service. Yeah, everybody's equal. Yeah, you know, we should care for everybody in the same way. But we take for granted what Jesus was doing and what Jesus was saying was totally earth-shattering. This was completely different from what anyone else was doing or the culture they were in. In spite of all of this rejection this woman has experienced, after 12 years of seeking healing and nothing working, this is the first woman to approach Jesus in public. She somehow musters up the courage to go into this crowd. If anybody noticed her, they would have sent her away. They would have said, get away from us, you're unclean. And I can imagine the desperation that she had when she reached out her hand, somehow hoping against hope, holding on to faith, that when she grabbed onto Jesus, that Jesus could heal her, that Jesus will heal her. And he immediately stops. And he acknowledges there's something different about the way that someone has grabbed onto his cloak. Something's happened. Now, if you picture what's going on, it says the crowd is, like, um, pushing up against him from all sides. I imagine it like the celebrities, right? If you think about a celebrity today and how people are like, oh, they just want to be close, right? Like this. I can imagine girls are screaming, I love you, Edward Cullen. I want to have your baby. Right? That's what you hear a lot in crowds. Do you, though? Do you really want to have a vampire's baby? I don't think so. But all these people are gathered around. They're trying to be as close to Jesus as they can, right? They want, in this crowd, they desperately just want to be really, really close to this guy, this guy who's a celebrity. And they're all touching him. There's this huge throng around Jesus. Kind of picture it like this. All these people gathered around him. But he notices that one person, one person in that crowd, has actually touched him in a way that's different from everybody else. And my point is, for Jesus, there is a difference between people who just want to be close, just are going to be present, and people who have faith. He knew that someone had reached out and grabbed on for dear life. Someone had reached out so she could be free to have any life at all. In the gospel, faith is not a belief in a disconnected existence of God. Faith is reaching out, extending to Jesus our needs, our hopes, the brokenness that we have. Reaching out and saying, I need Jesus. And expecting that Jesus is going to do miracles with it. Now, the miracles might not be instantaneous like they were for this woman. But miracles that Jesus is at work in your life. Jesus can change you, can transform you. And Jesus says to her, your faith has made you well. He doesn't say, I saved you, don't forget it. Your faith has made you well. And then I love this part. Jesus points out to everyone in the crowd, all these people who have shunned her and rejected her and have not included her in the community at all, he has her stand up in front of them and Let them see that she is someone who has been healed. 
She is a beloved human. Now, are they going to accept her in the same way that they've accepted the one who heals her? What Jesus does is so countercultural. Sometimes I think we just accept it without realizing the power of his bringing the outsider, the lowest of the low, in. That same compassion and healing is available for us. Now, I think we take that for granted. We, we forget that that is what Jesus wants to do in our lives. And the question is, where are you broken? What are the places that you feel rejected, that you need to be released from? Even if you've had faith for a long time, there are probably things that you are holding back, that you are not reaching out, grabbing onto Jesus, acknowledging that he is the healing and the presence that you need in your life. It's the same compassion and love we see in Scripture in in Luke, the rest of Luke. If we continue the story... We remember in the first verse, this guy Jairus has come up to Jesus and said, he's a synagogue leader, and he said, Jesus, I need you to come to my house. I need you to heal my daughter. So this is a very different circumstance from the woman, right? The woman is an outsider. She would be an outcast from society, and Jesus heals her. And now this guy Jairus comes, and he is a religious leader. He is one of the most important people in this culture. He's socially, he's financially rich. Everybody would have loved and respected him. And he comes to Jesus and says, I need you. He's the guy that calls the shots in the town. So here's what happens if we pick it up in um, verse 49 of chapter 8. Um, he says in verse 48, then he, said to, then he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. So just like the woman, the concern is about Jewish law. Numbers 19 says that anyone who touches a dead body will themselves be unclean. Now, even though the girl has died, Jesus encourages Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe she will be healed. Again, Jesus points out that faith is all he needs. Um, faith in the, the healing power of God. So, uh, verse 50, hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Now notice, Jesus clears out everybody except those that had faith. He keeps the disciples in there. He keeps the girl's um, parents in there. And these mourners, they were most likely professional mourners. So um, when someone was dying, families would hire mourners to come in to demonstrate how many people were upset that that, um, this person has died. So these professional mourners have come in, and so they've probably seen a lot of death. And when Jesus says, she, she's not dead, they laugh at him. Yeah, right, she's not dead, she's dead. We've seen dead people, we know what they look like. And when I hear that laughter, what I hear is cynicism. Cynicism that faith can heal. And I think cynicism and negativity is, negativity is something that's so prevalent in our faith, in our culture. 
How many times do we walk into a worship service, go to church, come to the inn, and our response when it's over was, I don't really, I didn't really get anything out of it. I didn't really like the songs. I don't know. The sermon was too long or it was too basic or it was preached by a woman. Wait a minute. Um, it didn't really do anything for me. Or we go to our small groups and we're like, I don't know. My core group is just, it's too spiritual or it's not spiritual enough. It's too much this or it's too much that or it's not enough this or it's not enough that. We bring that into so many of our faith experiences. What would happen if when we walked into a place where we're going to worship God, we actually said, okay, God, what do you have for me here? Where can I see you present in this place? Where can my faith grow? Because grace and truth, there's no room for cynicism and negativity in grace and truth. We allow that to judge how we look at everything in our lives. And so often, it's how we look at our faith. What would happen if we asked God to be with us? Maybe we would worship God more. Maybe we would hear God more. Maybe we would trust in Jesus to truly heal our lives more. In spite of this cynicism, Jesus heals this girl in front of her family. It says, starting in verse 54, But then he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone. So she's healed. He tells them to give her something to eat. I'd be hungry, too, if I spent some time being dead, probably. And then he does something interesting. He tells the family, don't tell anybody about this. Now, this is kind of curious, because with the woman, he brought her out in the public and showed everybody who he had healed. Now, a lot of biblical scholars, they don't really necessarily know why Jesus said, don't tell anyone. But it probably was connected to the fact that he was going to die and be raised from the dead. And Jesus didn't want the reason people came to see him to be curiosity. He didn't want it to become sideshow Jesus, bring out your dead, get your corpse, line it up, bring it in, he'll raise it from the dead. Because Jesus came to change the lives of the living. He came to seek and save the lost, to heal the brokenhearted in this world. To bring the outsider in. When we look at these two stories, these intertwined stories, what do you, what do we see? What do we realize about Jesus? He does not discriminate with very different circumstances. These two still have the same need. And Jesus treats them the same. Two people who come from completely different worlds, both belong. God is not bound by the limitations of the Jewish law, but he is determined to bring the outsiders in. Because the reality is, everyone needs Jesus, no matter who we are, no matter where we're from. And reaching out to Jesus is when we discover true healing in our lives. Healing full of grace and truth, free of cynicism. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to spend some time in Kenya. 
six months in Kenya. And when I was there, I met a bunch of different great, I was working with some great women. They were amazing. They were single mothers. And one of the women that I had the opportunity to meet and get to know, her name was Alice. And I actually have a picture. It's not the best picture, um, but it was before digital cameras. I know I'm old. But anyways, Alice was this incredible woman. And every time, the first few times that I met her, um, Alice said to me, Hi, I'm Alice, and I'm saved. That's how she identified herself. And one day we sat down, and Alice said, let's, let's share the stories of how Jesus has saved us. I was like, great, I really want to hear, I really want to hear your story, Alice. So she starts to tell me her story, and she had just an unbelievable upbringing, just really horrible experiences. She was the fourth wife of her husband, and he beat her. I don't know if you can tell in the picture, but her right eye was gone. She couldn't open it from his beating, so she ran away from her husband. She took her child with her, and in order to feed her son, she stole money. She ended up being put in prison as a result of that. She spent time in prison, and she had recently discovered that she was HIV positive from her husband. And she finished the story, and she looks at me with this huge smile on her face, and she says... Jesus saved me. And she said, Janie, how has Jesus saved you? And after her story, I, frankly, I was embarrassed by the privilege in my life. And I was like, what am I going to say? Well, Alice, right before I came here, my boyfriend broke up with me and it sucked. <laughs> but she kept pressing. She wanted to know. She wanted to know how Jesus had saved me. And so I started kind of telling her my story. And, and I shared about the incredible pressure to succeed that we sometimes feel in our culture. And my personal fear of failure, my struggle with depression, the relationship that had ended right before I came had been an awful experience. And um, I wanted to be a pastor in work and ministry. But all these people said I can't because I'm a woman. And this was a huge struggle for me. Sharing all these things, and when I was finished, I just looked at her, and Alice looked at me with this huge smile on her face. And in her smile, I didn't see judgment that I had come from a life of that was basically a cakewalk. And I, I didn't see envy. She looked at me with a smile, and she just said, And Jesus saved you. And what I realized in that moment is that I can't even imagine the horror of the life and the suffering that she had experienced. And she, the privilege that I had known in my life was beyond her wild streams. But the thing that connected us is that Jesus had saved both of us. Both of us had been broken. Both of us knew we had a need in our lives for healing. And we had reached out to God, who was right in front of us, and discovered that healing in our lives. If Jairus or the woman um, who was bleeding, if they wanted to be close to God, they would have gone to the temple in Jerusalem. And once they got to the temple, the woman who was bleeding, she would have been stopped at the gate. She wouldn't have been allowed in. She wanted to get closer to God because she was unclean. She could not come in. Jairus is a religious leader. He could have come in a little bit further. So he would have come in to the gates of the temple, but once he got inside there, he would have been stopped because there was a place in the middle of the temple called the Holy of Holies. And it was divided by a curtain, and that was the place where God dwelt, right? No one could get in there except for one priest on one day a year had access to God in the Holy of Holies. 
And when Jesus died on the cross, what happened was that curtain was ripped into from top to bottom. And a lot of times when we think about that, oh, that's great. That means that the woman who was bleeding and Jairus, they have access to God. But I think bigger than that, it means that God has access to us. That temple curtain has been ripped so God can be loose in the world. So God can be present with all of us. All of us might be able to approach him and reach out and grab Jesus' cloak and say, I need healing. I am broken. And when we do that, Jesus will say, daughter, you are healed. Go in peace, you belong. Son, you are healed. Go in peace, you belong. All these stories that we've been looking at in Luke are building up to the story of Jesus on the cross. His death on the cross, that means that no longer is anyone an outsider, unwanted, unattractive, a sinner that can't get in. No, no longer is anyone a failure. No longer is anyone defined by their brokenness, but instead we all belong to Jesus. And Luke is emphasizing that Jesus is coming to these people as individuals, but he is forming them into one people who follow after him. In Galatians 6, it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. God is available to all of us through Jesus. And all of us can come to him, whether we're insiders or outsiders, whether we're sinners or beggars, whether we feel included or not, and know the compassion and healing and love of our God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are in desperate need of you. We are broken. We are a people who need to know your healing. We are a people who want to reach out and be assured that you are with us, that you are going before us, that you are becoming behind us, that you are loose in this world so that we can know you. God, thank you for your grace and your truth and the love of Jesus. In your holy name, amen.